The Ram Dhamma's Kingdom by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 3, A Most Unusual Welcome. The sun had indeed warmed the desert to well over 100 degrees. Packed down with supplies, Dr. Savard was already growing weary. As he started to slow, he could see Kellogg ahead. The general had already stopped and taken a nutrient drink from his pack. Setting up for a ringside seat? Asked the doctor, looking at the binoculars draped around Kellogg's neck. Oh, doctor, you're too damn sentimental, said Kellogg as Savard took off the heavy pack and set it in the sand. It's not a matter of sentimentality, it's a matter of humanity. Something you seem to be apart from. Your insults will do them no good. Then why not just kill me along with the others? I don't understand. You have absolutely no remorse for anything you do. For any harm. Any... Stow it, Doctor. In less than a minute, we'll have the desert to ourselves. Savard's stomach tingled with fear at the words. Even though he was very thirsty, he could not bear to be quenching his thirst while the SRT was incinerated. In fact, he could not watch. He turned his back as Kellogg counted down the seconds. The noise around the spacecraft was deafening. Through the binoculars, the exuberant Kellogg saw the solid ship transformed into a white, vaporizing mass in less than a second. The blinding white bubble spread outward, sending a storm of dust and wind across the desert. Savard heard the sound, like a massive thunder echoing into the distance the fact was confirmed. The SRT was gone. Tears came to Savard's eyes as the general jumped up and down. Now he could be vindicated. Brilliant! Brilliant! Kellogg raised the binoculars again. The desert was empty. A brilliant move, he repeated as he looked over at the despondent Savard. Oh, come on, doctor. Don't be so gloomy. They didn't feel a thing. I only regret not having died with them, he stated, his blue eyes still moist. Cheer up, said Kellogg, hitting his arm. We're one step closer to civilization. It's all so clear to you, isn't it? I'll take that praise. No compliment intended, General. You've killed everyone in one way or another. You may even make it back unscathed, but I'm sure as the sun is heating down upon us, you'll rot in hell for what you've done. Bold and eloquent words, they mean nothing, said the General as he handed the nutrient container to Savard. Now drink this. We'll change into desert fatigues and be off. And that's it. You think you can invoke guilt on me, Doctor? Forget it. I have no guilt for things that were in my way. Things that have been made right. A crater, over two feet deep, sloped downward from the center of the explosion. The ground was still sizzling hot over the spot where the spacecraft had been maneuvered from outer space just hours before. The undulating sands would once again become a continuous mass with no evidence of the temporary intrusion. From the top of the gentle grade, Harry McGee stuck his head up over the sands. He, Barrett, Rothstein, and Annie, already in desert fatigues, were covered with white dust from the explosion. He fell back to the sand and wiped his forehead. I, for one, don't believe that we're alive, he said, looking up at the others. You don't, said Rothstein forcefully. McGee has a proclivity with electronic devices, said Annie as she moved over toward him. You really think Kellogg thinks we're all dead? asked Barrett. McGee, his lip curling upward, looked across the sands at the distant mountains. 
No doubt he's taking great satisfaction in our demise, he said, raising the binoculars to his eyes. I only hope he hasn't killed Savard. You see anything, McGee? asked Annie. No, not yet, he said as he turned up the power. I can see sea cliffs in the distance. How far did Mesmer say they were? Almost 16 miles, answered Barrett. Mesmer, another casualty. That, began McGee, is a long way to go. 16 miles. Wait, I see them, he said. The two figures came into focus within the wavering heat. He's forcing Savard to march. Strange, I thought he would have killed them, said Rothstein. I'm sure he thinks the doctor can help him at this point, guessed Annie. McGee set down the binoculars and looked over at the others. I'm going after them. And do what? asked Barrett. It's still hot out there and probably going to get hotter, explained Rodstein. McGee, please, let's all go, Annie said, holding his wrist. No, he said as he shook his head. When they get to the top of those cliffs, I can make my move. I can get him when he goes down the other side. McGee, you can't go. I won't let you go, said Annie. She literally grabbed onto his body. Annie, that man just tried to kill us. He killed all those people. Come on. The important thing is, he said as he reached into one of the packs and pulled out a white-brimmed hat, is that we keep low. Stay low, because once they start up those cliffs, Kellogg will have a view of the whole area. They must be at least five, six miles ahead of us by now, continued Annie. How can you possibly catch him? I will, and hopefully before we kill Savad, said McGee as he took out a small container of nutrient and stuffed it in his pocket. I had the element of surprise. Now, if anything happens to me... Annie took his arm and led him away from the others. As the wind blew her dusty hair back, she looked up at him. He could see the fear in her eyes. Don't stop worrying, sunshine. I'll be all right. I can handle it. He won't even... I'm worried, McGee. I can't explain it. Maybe because of all that's happened. I just don't know. It's a sense of doom. Okay, okay. Slow down there. Look, Annie. We're all tired and upset he said, trying to reassure her. And you are personally going after them. I don't think we should be separated. McGee put his finger on her lips and smiled compassionately. She came closer, holding him tightly as she cried. It's all right. Nothing's going to separate us. It'll all be over in a few hours, Annie. She looked up at him again. And we're going to leave this place behind. And we're going to get to that Metatrade station and find the red metal. I know. I, I know we will. You do what you have to do, McGee. Remember that. Sure, and you remember I'll be all right, he said, kissing her on the forehead, okay? Okay, she said as she tried to smile. They walked back across the sands. Barrett was watching through another pair of binoculars. He hasn't looked back at all, said Barrett. Good, and he won't either, said McGee. He's got too much on the line to think he's failed in killing us, he said as he raised his own binoculars. That son of a bitch. Just the sun alone will probably get to survive. Or to us said Rothstein. Listen, just in case he doesn't look back, you have to keep watching. If he does get curious, drop down. Yeah, we understand that, McGee, said Barrett. And McGee, said the Senator, when we get back, I'll do all that I can to make sure that you and Miss Sinclair are cleared. I appreciate that, Senator. Thank you, he said as he moved over to Annie. You're going to be all right now. Just remember what I said, she said as he helped her with her pack. He wanted to say more, but she moved him along. Good luck, McGee, called Barrett as he started out. He looked back at Annie, and as she waved, she turned slowly toward the distant cliffs. 
The heat would be a definite obstacle, but McGee was not used to backing away from obstacles. He started to pick up his pace and actually trotted across the sands. Once again, he was ready to beat the odds. I tell you, said Savard as he trudged up to the general, I've gone about as far as I can go. You don't know your own capacity, doctor. You're full of strength you don't even know you have. Besides, he said, looking at his watch, I set my watch when we left. It's only approximate, but it's a little after two. General, I'm not impressed with you and your solar computations. I'm tired. That's all that matters. It's unfortunate because we're going to be scaling those cliffs ahead of us, he told Savard. Oh, come on. The rocky cliffs were much closer now, but still at a respectable distance. We'll cross the cliffs and camp by the ocean tonight. You will camp by the ocean. Face reality, will you, doctor? We both have to make it out of here. I'm supposed to trust you, is that it? Asked Savard. I would be a fool to trust you. Then trust this, he said, raising his rifle. Savard stared at the barrel, his mind going back to the general, blasting Folsom and Mesmer. Despite his mistrust and abhorrence of Kellogg, underneath it all he wanted to live. It made him uneasy. In a way, his conscience told him he should die for a higher moral principle and not participate in Kellogg's plan, but he wanted life. Very well, he answered. When do we rest? I estimate we have another hour and a half before we reach those cliffs, perhaps four miles. We can rest before we climb. All right, all right, said Savard, downing some of the orange-colored nutrient. I will go. Thought you'd see it my way, smiled the general. McGee was furious as he saw everything through the binoculars. He was growing tired himself. Jogging over all those miles, trying to keep a constant pace in the high temperature was grueling. He closed his eyes and tried to catch his breath. The gap had narrowed by several miles, but the odds were still against him. He leaned back, drinking the nutrient as he looked through the glasses. Rothstein and Andy, both looking tired, trailed behind Barrett. Barrett would ultimately scan the front area as he kept trudging. McGee took another sip and then leaped to his feet. With his legs inside aching, he was on his way. Kellogg was the first to scale the cliffs. He waited on a large boulder as Savard slowly made his way out of the desert sands. I'm ready to collapse, General. I can't go on, he said, staggering against the rock. He slid down and sat in the sand. Have your nutrient, Doctor. You'll feel better replied Kellogg as he looked back across the desert. McGee was on his belly now, staring through the field glasses. The others had pulled up one of the white tents out of the pack, and they huddled beneath it, blending in with the sand as Barrett watched Kellogg's every movement. This is very strange, said Savard. He put down the nutrient container and ran his fingers along the rock. Very unusual, he added, studying the rocks closely. What's the matter now? asked Kellogg. Probably nothing. I was just baffled by the degree of weathering on these rocks, he said as he looked up at the brown cliffs above them. Great abrasion. The wind must get very strong out here. I would advise you to stop your studies, doctor, and eat while we rest. You're going to need all your strength climbing these cliffs. I'm at wit's end right now, General. I don't see how you think we're going to make headway. The ocean only offers more desolation. You saw all that land around here when we came in? Then tell me what you think we should do then. You should have let Mesmer build that beacon. Then shut up. We're doing things my way, he said, standing on the rocks. 
McGee, lying in the sands, could see the general very clearly. Kellogg had no inclination that there were four people out in the expanse that lay behind him, four people ready to kill him at a moment's notice. Although McGee could not hear what was going on up front, he could see the general prodding Savard to his feet and helping him with his pack. They were beginning the arduous journey from rock to rock up the towering ledges. McGee was poised and ready. Kellogg, having the superior strength and stamina, soon moved up the rocks ahead of Savard. He was thoroughly convinced that the doctor would not dare venture away on his own. As the general finally scaled the cliffs, the enormous span of blue ocean was coming into view. To his surprise, the cliffs themselves extended on a relatively flat surface for several miles. The plain on the far side was still very dry and devoid of life and stretched for at least another 10 miles into the ocean. For whatever reason, Kellogg was ecstatic. I see it! I see it! he called to Savard. The doctor was less than enthusiastic, more relieved that they were nearing the top and would be finally able to rest. He could see Kellogg lifting the binoculars behind him. The doctor had an excellent view of the sandy beaches in the distance. They would make it to the water's edge by that evening, he thought, believing their rescue would be imminent. What do you see? called the winded Savard. Suppose the rescue party is already on shore. I see the ocean, you fool, he said as Savard came up over the top. Oh, so you do, said the doctor, taking off his pack. Rest easy, doctor, the worst is over. Another ten miles or so and we can rest for the night. And just tell me, what difference does it make? You, sir, do not know how to survive. You have to push yourself beyond normal endurance. What is this? asked Savard as he took out more nutrient to his lips. Some kind of game? I could share your attitude if there was a shaded oasis out there with food and drink. It's all dead, just like here. Why not just rest here? We go forward, said Kellogg angrily. You obviously have the rifle. Five minutes, Doctor, then we move out. Five minutes. Join us again next week for another adventurous episode of the Ram Damas Kingdom, Who is He Who Commands the Masses? Produced by Fitton Theater of the Words.